Good morning everybody and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church and to this our gathered community of Kensington Unitarians. A community where you can be yourself. The clocks have gone forward this morning which means that we have lost a whole hour in bed. So I don't expect any of us to be in a great mood right now. But you know what? We're glad you're here. However you're feeling, whatever you are carrying in your heart, whatever religions you have known, whatever God you accept or deny, whatever your heritage or culture, you are welcome here. Whoever you are, whoever you love, whatever body you live in, you're welcome. Now my ministry colleague, Danny Crosby, often starts his services by saying, come as you are, just don't expect to leave in the same condition. <laughs> now I'm quietly hopeful that you will leave in a better condition than the one you arrived in this morning. Because do you know what? I think it does us good to gather with other people to make time to sing, to be silent, to think, to talk. And today is Palm Sunday, the first day of Christianity's Holy Week, marking Jesus' triumphant journey into Jerusalem. So I invite you to take a moment now to settle yourself, to let go, perhaps, of any niggles from your journey here this morning. Let us together, quite consciously, choose to create this as a sacred time and a sacred space, made holy by our choosing to be together. And may this, our chalice flame, warm our hearts, strengthen our connections, and guide our thoughts this morning. Just a, a, a tiny story before our young people go off for their group downstairs. Um, and I, I don't know if it'll speak to you. When I, when I read it, I thought, oh my goodness, let me remember this. It, it's the story of a child who went out playing one day with a friend and time ticked on and it was really well past the time when she was meant to get back home and her mum started to worry a bit as parents sometimes do. Where have you been? Um, her mum said when the girl at last got home. Oh sorry, sorry I'm late, she said. My friend Tim, his bike broke and he fell off, so I stopped to help him. Oh, I oh, said a mum, but well, you don't know very much about broken bikes, do you? I'm, I'm not sure what help you could have given Tim with a broken bike. No, replied the daughter, I didn't help him with the broken bike. I just stayed and I helped him cry. Let's hold that thought of all the ways we might help one another cry when things get broken, as they often do in life. And we'll see our young people later alligators. And uh, we'll join now in a time of prayer and reflection.
May the, may the divine spirit of life and love be with us now in this, our time of worship, and bless our togetherness. May our hearts be softened and our busy minds be stilled. May our bodies be at peace within themselves as best they can. Whatever difficulties, discomforts or anxieties we may be dealing with today. Let us pray to the God of our hearts and our understanding for guidance through all life's good times and bad. On Palm Sunday, we recall Jesus's triumphant journey into Jerusalem, so soon to be followed by cruelties and betrayals later in that same week. May we know the transience of all triumph and disaster in our own lives, in the lives of others, and indeed in the life of our world. Let us remind ourselves, nothing stays the same, and that life is a tapestry woven of our joys and sorrows. May we be gracious towards the highs and the lows of other people's lives. May we be wise in response to our own lives' ups and downs. May we remember our power in the days of our powerlessness. And in a few moments of shared quiet now, I invite you to direct your thoughts and prayers to places and people you know to be in need. And may we, by our care and our concern, help to bring freedom, peace, acceptance to all people of our world. And may this be so for the greater good of all. Amen. This is what happens when you go for a cup of coffee with Sarah Tinker. <laughs> and uh, I've been asked to say this is a little bit longer than usual, this little story, so bear with, as they say. Uh, it's about the power of community. And the reading is adapted from a recent Guardian newspaper article written by journalist Georges Monbiot. He explains that the compassionate Froome project launched in the small market town of Froome in Somerset has seen a dramatic fall in emergency hospital admissions since it began a collective project to combat isolation. This interested me when Sarah told me because as some of you may know, I lived in Froome for a couple of years recently. George Monbiot explains that the results of a health trial in Froome have been provisionally reported as a great success. He writes, it could, if the results stand up, be one of the most dramatic medical breakthroughs of recent decades. 
It could transform treatment regimes, save lives and save health services a fortune. Is it a drug, a device, a surgical procedure? No, it's a newfangled intervention called community. What this provisional data appears to show is that when isolated people who have health problems are supported by community groups and volunteers, the number of emergency admissions to hospital falls spectacularly. While across the whole of Somerset, emergency hospital admissions rose by 29% during the three years of the study, in Froome they fell by 17%. The project was launched in 2013 by Helen Kingston, a GP there, and she kept encountering patients who seemed defeated by the medicalization of their lives, treated as if they were a cluster of symptoms rather than a human being who happened to have health problems. So with the help of the NHS group, Health Connections Mendip, and the independent town council, her practice set up a directory of agencies and community groups. This let them see where the gaps were, which they then filled with new groups of people, uh, new groups for people with particular conditions. They employed health connectors to help people plan their care and most interestingly trained voluntary community connectors to help their patients find the support they needed. Sometimes this meant handling debt, housing problems, sometimes joining choirs or lunch clubs, exercise groups, writing workshops, men's sheds where men make and mend things together. The point was to break a familiar cycle of misery. Illness reduces people's ability to socialize, which leads in turn to isolation and loneliness, which then exacerbates illness. Evidence from many studies around the world strongly suggests that social contact should be on prescription as it is in Froome. And Helen Kingston, the GP who started the project, reports that patients who once asked what are you going to do about my problem? Now tell her, this is what I'm thinking of doing next. And they are, in other words, no longer a set of symptoms, but people with agency. This might lead, as the preliminary results suggest, to fewer emergency admissions and major savings to the health budget. But even if it doesn't, the benefits of community are clear. Together, compassionate communities help to reduce isolation and bring a sense of belonging into what is sometimes a disconnected society. I hope the final thought resonates with us all here today as we connect, if only for an hour or two.
And so we invite you now into a time of meditation, a time to focus inwards and rest a while. As with every activity here, feel free to ignore what's being suggested and think your own thoughts. But if you wish, follow the guiding words, which will lead into a time of shared stillness together, and that quiet time will be completed by a chime from our bell. So close your eyes or focus your gaze on one small area. Start by relaxing your muscles. When thoughts come to mind, disregard them, thinking, hmm, or oh well, and gently turn your attention back to your body. Let your muscles become loose and relaxed, starting with your feet, your ankles, lower legs, knees, upper legs, hips, tummy, back, shoulders, arms, hands, face and head. Feel your body loose and relaxed. Turn your attention now to your breathing. Notice each breath without trying to change your breathing in any way, just observe. As thoughts arise, acknowledge them and let them go, returning your attention to your breathing. Breathe naturally, slowly. As your thoughts wander, simply return your attention to your breathing. Notice your breath as it flows gently in and out of your body without any effort. Acknowledge your thoughts or any noises from outside that disturb you and focus again on your breathing. Interruptions are normal. Just let these thoughts go and return your attention to your breathing. And as we enter a time of stillness, we invite you, if you wish, to think of all the connections in life that bring you joy. The people, the places, the animals, the landscapes, the hobbies, favorite foods, the planet Earth itself even, and anything else that you feel a connection with. Rest a while now in gentle awareness of your many connections in this world.
Today is the last Sunday in March and it's the last week of our monthly ministry theme here at Essex Church where we've been thinking about the weighty topics of health and healing all this month. I've called this address Connections Lost and Found and surprise, surprise, it has two simple messages. We live in a society where many people are experiencing a loss of connection. And as a church, we are creating a space in which people might rediscover a sense of connection in life. Lots has been written and said about people's increasing loss of connection in modern Western societies. Family members are more likely to move away for work. People are more likely to live on their own. And there's been a steady decline in traditional ways that people have gathered together in pubs, in clubs, and in churches, for example. Although one activity that has apparently bucked the trend is the joining of choirs. So can we hear a round of applause, please, for our musicians here today? single-handedly or single-voicedly saving society, they reckon. Thank you. Along with this decline in what's known by sociologists as associational activity, the ways we join up with others in social activities, there's also been a significant decline in the amount of physical touch we give one another. Now, some quite understandable concerns about touch becoming abusive and the heightened awareness of the need to respect personal boundaries, all this has led to a reduction in our physical touching of one another. Now, this is a topic to explore more another day. But when we speak of connections lost and found, it might be an idea for us all to think about physical touch in our own lives. Maybe we need to explore what unspoken rules we have about touch here at church, for example. Maybe we need to find a new vocabulary that will allow us to negotiate touch in, in a healthier way. Journalist Johan Hari recently published a book with the title The Lost Connections, Uncovering the Real Causes of Depression and the Unexpected Solutions. Now, apologies to him and to you for the fact that I have merely skim-read this important book. Hari has uh, experienced periodic bouts of depression since his teenage years. He's got wide experience of taking various medications for his illness. And reviewers have emphasised a point he makes himself, that he is not recommending anyone to suddenly stop taking prescribed medicines but his research uncovers some important reminders for us all. The need, when we are considering the causes of depression, to acknowledge someone's social circumstances, to acknowledge their ways and their need to create a sense of meaning and purpose in life, to acknowledge the value of meaningful and, shout it out, fairly rewarded work in our society, and to acknowledge the role that trauma plays in disturbing our equilibrium in life. 
Hari and other social commentators expressed concern about the increasing use of digital technology and social media, which may give us a sense of, of connection, but at a physical distance. And I wonder what your view is of this. My own personal concern is particularly about teenagers connecting primarily through their digital devices rather than actually getting together as, as we certainly used to do. I have got that concern, but you know, that concern is tempered by more than one friend who has a particular illness and has made some really supportive friendships uh, with fellow sufferers around the world. That's shown me that digital friendships and support groups are real and definitely can work. I guess we'd also hope that most people could also form connections where they actually meet as well. And that's the point uh, made by the reading we heard earlier on, written by Guardian journalist um, George Monbiot, about the discoveries in Froome of the value of social prescribing in reducing people's sense of isolation and thereby increasing the success of medical treatments. This simple yet revolutionary idea that doctors can usefully pay attention to a person's social life is now spreading, thank goodness, across the NHS here in Britain. I, um, I read an interesting description um, of an Anglican church here in central London the other day. They wrote about what they described as the London churn, things constantly moving round. And they explained that they lose about one third of their congregation each year because, surprise, surprise, people move about so much and most ordinary people can't afford London rents for long. Jobs are often on short contracts, relationships come and go. Now here at Essex Church, we reckon on a 20% turnover of membership each year. People come, people move on, new people arrive, and Jane, our outreach officer, makes a valiant effort to keep up with us all with her green membership forms. But I haven't got one to wave. But it's the same colour as this. <laughs> And we want you all to fill one out. And, um, and also the photo board in the foyer. I wouldn't believe that something like that could have proved so useful. The number of people who say to me, can I just have a look at the photos and then I'll tell you who I mean. That's because it's hard work learning each other's names, isn't it? And people come and go. So if you haven't filled in your green membership form yet, today may be your ideal opportunity. And do let us know if you've got a new hairdo and you want a new photo up on the board. And Jane does, uh, what do you call it? Is it airbrushing still, Jane? Where, where? That, that one that you do that makes me look ever younger. She can do that for you too. So do you know what? Here at church, I reckon those of us who can stick around have a really important job to do, and that's to be here to welcome newcomers, to maintain a sense of continuity in community, to be holders of the stories and the traditions of Essex Church, and then do you know what? We have to be prepared to let go of people who have to move on, 
to let go of old ways of being that perhaps no longer serve us and instead really allow new people to get involved, to engage with us all and to bring fresh ideas and energy. Someone made a suggestion to me a few weeks ago and then they said that they felt they didn't really have the right to make such a suggestion for a change as they'd only been coming here a couple of years. I tell you, I was able to reassure them that two years membership of this church makes you an old timer. <laughs> so here we have resources that can help all of us to find some connections once more. And not just social connections with one another, important those those are. Here we can also find ways to reconnect with ourselves and we can encourage one another to reconnect with the earth on which we live. Here we can strengthen our sense of meaning and purpose in life. And here, I really hope we can feel safe enough to ask someone for a handhold when we need it. And to let one another know that we matter, we really matter, each and every one of us. Amen. Hey up, it's collection time, isn't it? Do you know? It's for the charity. And it is for the charity. It's for the charity that Jane described earlier, Diversity Role Models. I really like these smaller charities at the moment where they're doing a very specific job. So this charity is really working to reduce and prevent homophobic, biphobic and transphobic bullying in UK schools, of which there is a lot, believe me. And education really makes a difference. So let's give as we feel able to diversity role models. Susan uh, Sontag writes, do stuff, be clenched, curious, not waiting for inspiration's shove or society's kiss upon your forehead. Pay attention. It's all about paying attention. Attention is vitality. It connects you with others. It makes you eager. Stay eager. Words by Susan Sontag. And so in the week ahead, let us nurture our connections one with another. Let's give thanks for those who care for us and let's reach out and let another person know we care about them. Let us pay attention to the world in which we live and find small, simple reasons to be joyful and let us share our joy and our gratitude for life with others. Amen. Go well and blessed be.